Welcome to our first segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, the 6th of February, 2022. It is now 1.02 p.m. in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Mr. Speaker, proven leadership, the combination of creativity, courage, strength, resilience, strategic thinking, entrepreneurship, and commitment to people led us out of this crisis and created once again the conditions for progress and prosperity. Our nation is ready to resume its egalitarian march to prosperity on which we had so firmly and convincingly set our feet. Let us now lay aside every weight and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Mr. Speaker, I commend this budget to this honorable house for its consideration. I thank you, Mr. Speaker. That was a snippet of Prime Minister Gaston Brown, who is also, of course, a finance minister, uh, wrapping up the budget statement on Thursday. Uh, the 2022 budget uh, is $1.64 billion. Uh, it has increased from the budget of 2021, which was, of course, $1.4 billion. Uh, for some context, the 2020 pre-pandemic planned expenditure uh, was $1.7 billion, which would have been a record. Um, this year, the government has promised to stimulate economic activity through spending on works and public projects. Uh, and as such, the capital expenditure part of the budget has uh, more than doubled from what it was last year. Uh, no changes were announced regarding taxation, and the customary list of planned private investments was mentioned throughout the budget statement. Uh, there is a significant financing requirement of uh, $609.6 million for this year's budget, uh, which the finance minister said would be raised uh, by $2.743 million uh, coming from securities issued on the regional government securities market and by loans and advances of $335.3 million. Um, so, on this segment, we take our first look at Budget 2022 to see what we can glean from its numbers, its policies, and the politics behind it. Uh, joining our panel for this discussion, we're happy to have with us Mr. Carl at night. Uh, he is a socioeconomic and political affairs commentator. Uh, all of our panelists this afternoon join us via Zoom. I will ask them at this point to unmute their microphones. Uh, and as I said, introduced or being introduced first is Mr. Carla Knight, socioeconomic and political affairs commentator. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Carla Knight. How are you doing? Good afternoon to Kiwa and my fellow panelists and to Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, we have with us Dr. Dave Ray as well. He is an elections analyst and campaign organizer. Uh, he was a campaign field organizer for the 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign. He is an internationally known cosmetologist as well. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dr. Dave Ray, and how are you doing? Good afternoon, and good afternoon to all your listeners. We have as well with us Dr. Thompson Fontaine. He is um, an economist currently working in South Sudan. As an economist, he worked with the International Monetary Fund for 13 years, uh, and his work and writing over the years have focused on growth, currency crises, development, fiscal management, and debt. Uh, he is from Dominica and was a senator there previously. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dr. Thompson Fontaine. A very good afternoon to you. Uh, Dr. Fontaine, you're coming in a little bit low. I'm not sure if you could be any closer to your microphone. We haven't heard you uh, very clearly. Okay, let's try again. Let's see. Very good afternoon to you and to my, my colleagues. Still not coming in so clearly. I, I wonder if perhaps you could um, uh, change whatever mode of audio input you're using. Perhaps I'm not sure if you may be using a headset. It may need to change or... Um, but uh, we'll see what we could do about that, but we still haven't heard you very clearly. Uh, our final panelist um, is Mr. Peter Queeley. Uh, he is a Montserrat-based economic and financial analyst and a social and political commentator. Uh, he worked uh, in Antigua and Barbuda for some time with the Ministry of Finance um, uh, in the areas of budgeting and economic management. Uh, he's also lectured in the areas of micro and macroeconomics, uh, the Caribbean business environment, banking and risk management, and did so for the University of the West Indies through the Antigua State College, uh, as well as the UE Open Campus. Uh, his training is in economics and financial management. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mr. Peter Queeley. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Mr. Murdoch, and good afternoon to the listeners of, of Observer Radio. Uh, Mr. Queeley, uh, first impressions of the budget, uh, as I said, um, just a, a cursory look at it uh, in terms of policies didn't seem to be, uh, you know, uh, anything particularly uh, significantly different from last year. The spending, of course, has increased in a number of areas. But w what is your first impression? Well, um, good afternoon again. My first impression of the budget is that um, I have set a budget in the context of 
um, the circumstances now, which is um, con which is confronting Antigua and, and Barbuda and the wider region. Um, first of all, um, things have not changed in, in, in a sense there is um, still a strong reliance on tourism. Um, but however, because the tourism sector wasn't doing as well due to the COVID-19 pan pandemic, there was a switch to push con construction and other um, projects as a form of um, getting some form of activity going. But we must remember that Antigua and Barbuda exist in a monetary arrangement whereby there's little or no scope for, for, for monetary policy. So the Prime Minister, as Minister of Finance, cannot adjust the interest rates. He cannot adjust the exchange rate. He cannot um, do much in light of market operations and so forth to affect growth and employment. So he's tied literally to using fiscal policy. And also, he is confronted by a COVID-19 pandemic, which has affected his intake of revenue and has affected every major sector. Um, and so um, he would have to push um, fiscal policy in the form of spending in order to get the economy going at this time. And thirdly, he is facing um, an impending um, re-election. Re and of course, you know, um, there is what you call the, the political business cycle theory, whereby in a in a in an election year or just just or just before, um, the incoming government would naturally ramp up spend spending to boost their re-election chances. So I set the budget in that context. Um, and so I am not surprised to see what I consider to be a significant increase in spending um, this year. And I'm not surprised to see that certain areas are targeted the way it is done and and, and the way how they're going, going, going about trying to affect employment and also trying to control inflation to, to, to insulate the impact that COVID-19 has had on, on the public. Uh, and if I could bring in Mr. Carl at night um, on that, 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 that topic there of uh, expecting an election, uh, it is customary, though uh, many commentators would call it unfortunate around the world, that when there is an election, uh, you do see uh, certain indicators in how government spends money, of course. Uh, and uh, it was very open, Frank, that in this budget, the capital expenditure uh, was going up significantly. A, a number of projects in terms of roadworks and road rehabilitation are slated for this year. Uh, Mr. Knight, do you um, associate that with the fact that we are expecting an election this year? Yes, sir. I think that this this could be described by some as a, an election budget. Um, uh, you see, as you said, a significantly a significant increase in projections for capital expenditures. Um, um, a lot of discussions about the critical issues that were being being targeted in many of the the campaign speeches of the opposition. Um, so there's a significant attention focus on things like public utilities. Um, uh, the addressing of various claims by opposition members of the removal of um, particular duties on on on, um, on customs duties and so forth, and the prime minister as well making the claim, well, how are you going to fund um, particular recurrent expenditures and other other um, claims of the government if you're going to be promising these people? So he's he's. I mean, you, you can see that the rhetoric is there. You can see that the um, the definite increase in in, in production uh, for expenditure is there. Um, this is again, as as pointed out by my fellow panelists, is sort of par for the course. Um, elections in Antigua and Barbuda are due by next year, March, um, and so you you should you should particularly be unsurprised by this. I think, uh, Dr. Dave Ray, would you agree? I agree. I, I agree. Uh, good afternoon again. Um, I, I see the budget as being a, a projection. As we know, it's not uh, implementable until it's been discussed, you know, in Parliament and being um, broken down in terms of allocation of funds. But I think there's some ambition in the in the budget. But it, you can understand that, as we say, it's an election year, and the government or the prime minister head, head, heading the government would want to project all the possibilities that can uh, occur based on the based on the forecast i believe too that uh you know if you look at the budget you talked a lot about um 
uh, borrowings that would be, um, you know, that would be projected for this year. But then the thing is, you have to understand that a lot of these budgets, there are a lot of these um, uh, proposals or, 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 or um, projections are expected to to generate generate funds for the economy, for the economy to continue growing. For example, the borrowings that uh, the prime minister discussed in his budget speech, they're not, they're not abnormal. I mean, countries all over the world borrow money, or states, countries wherever borrow money to keep the economy going, like for capital expenses, et cetera. For example, roads, schools. And a lot of the things that we are, that they're borrowing money for, I call them all social, they're all social services. I mean, schools don't make money. Uh, hospitals, with all due respects to schools, we, I mean, we need schools. But those, they don't bring income in. So there has to be some borrowing to keep the economy going if the, if the economy has been affected by, for example, the pandemic that just happened. And so, um, and, you know, pay over time. That's just how business works or how governments work. So I think um, uh, from listening to the, the conversation uh, or the discussion from the prime minister, um, I, I would say that, you know, he's doing, he, he with his technicians and all the ministries uh, are doing what they need to do or what they need to project to move forward. I think that's will be typical for any any prime minister at this point or leader of any country. Uh, Dr. Fontaine, um, I understand that you switched the devices. Uh, once again, of course, joining us on Zoom. Um, you were in the middle of your, you know, your opening statement, your first impressions of the budget. Yes, thanks, uh, Kiron. Yeah, I was making the point, I was observing that um, when we spoke last year, we were kind of concerned about what would happen to the tourism sector since um, the Antiguan economy is solidly anchored on tourism. What we've seen is a recovery, uh, which is quite remarkable, given the fact that we're still in the middle of the pandemic. And a lot of the growth that is projected going forward is predicated on that. Uh, it, it's also interesting to note that the prime minister is, is looking at, at ways to diversify the economy, which is always a good thing, because what you don't want to do is to continue to have a, if you like, a mono industry or mono um, thing that, that the country depends on, a single type industry that it depends on. Uh, so I think that that is a good, the fact that you're able to register positive growth in 2021 is a good thing. It's a good foundation to build on. One of the concerns that I saw looking at the figures, though, is the private sector's contribution to the uh, to the social security scheme. It does appear to me that 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 could signal a weakening of the private sector, and certainly measures that are now in the budget aimed at targeting the private sector, I think is a good thing. Um, the idea of, for example, looking at the economic zone and trying to foster uh, development within that, I think is good. The idea of looking at medicinal cannabis and so on, looking at different ways to stimulate the private sector, I think is really the way to go because it is clear that um, the government is holding its own. It, it has, um, notwithstanding what has happened and just finding ways to stimulate growth uh, going forward is, is certainly the right thing to do. Uh, Mr. Quigley, let me get your take on this uh, issue of diversification. Uh, it was mentioned in the budget, but, um, I mean it was mentioned briefly, uh, but there are many, there are many uh, critics who would say that we often hear um, uh, rhetoric about diversification from our public officials, um, but it doesn't necessarily pan out into a very uh, concrete initiatives. Uh, one initiative that uh, this administration has taken is to try and do so through special economic zones. Uh, and, and that has come with its own debate about the value and utility of, of those zones. And the Prime Minister took a little bit of time in the budget to defend the idea of special economic zones. Um, I'm just curious as to what your impressions are of the potential for successful um, diversification through special economic zones. Um, the the, the government um, has to take steps and measures to get the economy um, diversified away from just tourism alone. And um, especially economic zones, as um, has been highlighted before and in, in the budget, is one way in which they can get some economic activity going, but more so getting um, employment in, in that area. Because that particular zones, especially the ones 
in, in Panama, which I know of, and, and so forth, generate lots of employment for, for the local people. Um, and, the, and, the, and the government does make some fees um, from it. Um, um, so, um, you know, there is some avenue there um, for, for, for them to actually have, have some growth there. Um, I also see a push towards diversification into, into agriculture, but it's more from the standpoint of, from what I can see, import substitution. That is good also, um, because, and, you know, a countries, this pandemic has, has taught us that there's a need for, the, for our countries to be able to feed our, you know, feed ourselves. Um, I heard mention of health tourism, which is a dive, which, which, is, which is an extension again in the tourism industry. I heard mention also of the um, health marijuana and so forth. And so those two to me are other areas which, um, you know, I can see that the government um, can possibly make um, some revenues from. But, you know, it's important in my estimation that not only that there be some, some, some diversification, but that there be some strengthening in the current players in the private sector right now. Um, we, we, there's a need to, to forge, in my estimation, more closer links between small business and the tourism sector so that the trickle-down um, effect would be better in terms of small business getting, you know, some sort of a, um, linkage and some sort of um, hands up then. Um, you, they might need to look back at the one-stop shop for, for, for investors to, to ensure that that one-stop shop pro provides effectively that small businesses can, you know, can target and cater themselves to, to, um, to, to, to serving those major investments as they come in. But certainly, um, you know, diversification is the way for wit, is the way to go, and COVID has taught us that. Uh, Mr. Carla Knight, I'm wondering if you think that um, this statement uh, and, and the plan it has presented to go forward for this year has done enough to address some critical issues that have been uh, both issues, uh, I think, nationally, as well as issues that the uh, political opposition has indeed taken a, a strong stance on. Uh, for instance, social security payments and um, the provision of water uh, both have been uh, 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 persistent issues, inter-administration issues, uh, but have of late been persistent issues. Uh, the Prime Minister did take some time in the budget to address social security. Uh, what I have noticed, though, is that when he tends to address social security, and I, I noticed it from the last budget in 2021 as well, um, he's, he's quite defensive about his administration's handling of social security. Um, the uh, 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 poor handling of social security that um, he would say might have occurred under previous administrations is not something that he has politically um, uh, offered much uh, a responsibility for. So when the issue of a, a lack of payments comes up, you would usually say that his government has been current in meeting uh, what is traditionally demanded of them. Uh, and of course, gaps after that, they have to go and find the money for, and that may take a while. And of course, in the pandemic, you did have um, a Social Security receiving less money. He explained that in the budget uh, because of a reduction in contributions uh, and creating some backlogs and some delays. Um, but, but do you think that we saw a, a concerted effort to take responsibility for and to solve permanently the issue of social security? I, I noted that we have some issues in respect of um, social security. I don't think it's a very productive discussion to get into how we have gotten here. Um, the fact is that social security entering in my view has been um, a very difficult problem and an intractable problem uh, for quite some time. Um, and it has to be addressed and I think there needs to be a, a greater effort to sort of address this issue. Um, I think that the government, to its credit, has had to manage um, social security in the context of a pandemic, which has been very difficult. Um, I think that, to its credit, the government has sought to uh, indeed provide its contributions, although it does state clearly in, in, the, in, the, in the budget that there is a funding gap um, it says here that um, it, it, it's sort of a real dependence ratio for three to one, whereas a ten to one is needed um, to to meet its 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 the, the required funding to ensure that there is enough 
um, within the fund to ensure sustainability. So there was not much detail, I think, except to say that it's going to, they're going to dive, um, um, place instruments in international international markets, as well as I think to capitalize some um, some of its 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 state assets. I, I monetize some of the state assets. I I don't know what that means exactly because that's just as far as we get in terms of specifics. So it has not been as specific as we would perhaps like. And I think that there may need to be further um, elaboration on exactly um, um, what the plan is for Social Security, um, the publishing of an actuarial study. I don't know uh, there is one. The last one I saw was dated. Um, so there perhaps needs to be a new one done and it needs to be made available to the public if it's not done. And um, the 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 de a detailed plan put in place to ensure that we have a social security system that is sustainable, um, especially in light of the fact that there is um, an aging population. And just very quickly, um, I, I did note that the other issues that the opposition brought up, and I, I, I highlighted in my notes at least two or three of them, um, that the budget, to my mind, was some. It's a bit scant on details. So, for example where um, the cost of living and inflation is concerned. I mean, the budget simply said that we were going to monitor um, monitor the, the global situation and to, to act where necessary. I, I was hoping to see more of, and, and yes, I, I appreciate the comments from, I think, Mr. Queen, that the government is constrained on the monetary side by the fact that it's part of a currency union, but I was looking for more specifics in terms of fiscal policy. Um, are we gonna see any kind of intervention to ensure that we have a cap in 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 the rates of utilities that people are being asked to pay are we going to get any kind of a rebate system for individuals what 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 are we, what are we doing um to, to deal with that 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 cost of living crisis that some people are faced with are you going to intervene in 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 ensuring that individuals have some kind of security utilities? The most plan to deal with the water crisis were uh, again long term long term solutions. So there was talk about a reverse osmosis plant in Bethesda. So to what funding was allocated and to to, to this. How about when we can see these plants being built? What were the time spans um, we're looking at? Um, but, and, and especially um, that this crisis is affecting people now, I would have thought that the, um, something specific in terms of, um, are you gonna give a rebate to individuals? Are you gonna give a cut on the utility bills? Are you gonna, are you gonna do something to, to um, that they're paying for? I would imagine that there has to be something in place to, to address that issue in terms of um, um, uh, consumer welfare. And, and it, it, again, it's a statement. I mean, I'd have to see the, I'd have to see perhaps more of the, the actual estimates, but it's a statement, but um, it, it didn't delve into um, a lot of the details I would have particularly been looking for. But as I said, um, again, mm. it, it's a government that's fiscally constrained, so it's only so much it could do. But we could we could perhaps ec expect to see more statements later on. Um, uh, Dr. Dave Ray, before I come to you, I just want to jump to Mr. Peter Queeley very very briefly because I see that he has his hand up. Mr. Queeley, you want to respond to uh, anything that Mr. Knight has said? Yeah, I just wanted to comment and piggyback on what he said about social security. Um, I think the issue with social security in Antigua is that one, as he correctly says, there's an issue with the cash flow, the cash inflow from the monthly premiums and payments, um, which has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, um, specifically from the private sector side, because the, the government has kept its um, its payments up and has paid even beyond what it, it, it monthly commitments are. And that in, in effect has the effect of reducing what 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 the government owes from previously um but i think there's an issue also that some time ago the government would have transferred some land and and and, 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 so, and so forth yes to social security in exchange to wipe off that's all yeah to wipe off that but, yes but that land is not productive and so social social 
security basically gets money from two ways, money premiums and from interest income on investments. And to, and to, and to the extent that that land is not productive and not bringing any returns, then it is affecting also the cash flow of social security. And so I, um, you know, I assimilate what, what, what the premise is saying that by monetizing the assets also of the social security, he's referring to putting those lands into productive uses, perhaps building housing schemes, perhaps, you know, selling them in, in, in tranches and, and so forth, but getting those lands now to, to be income earning assets and thereby making a contribution from a cash flow standpoint to the social security to alleviate the pressure on paying monthly um, monthly payments to, to, to pensioners and so forth. Uh, Dr. Dave Ray, let me come to you. Um, feel free to respond to anything that's been said so far. I did want to ask you the question of um, whether or not you thought that, um, well, how should I phrase this question? Um, the first half of the budget statement, and the budget, if I counted it correctly, was about three hours and 17 minutes in terms of its actual presentation, uh, the, the PM's actual presentation, which was rather long. But the first half of it, or, or some significant portion of it, was um, sort of noting the performance of 2021. Uh, and the Prime Minister, um, from a political standpoint, uh, his administration uh, took a lot of credit for the recovery of 2021 um, and uh, whatever economic growth, I think it was five, uh, at least 5%, uh, might have taken place in the year. Um, would you agree? Would you agree that the management of, of, of the government um, in terms of its direct policies and interventions was responsible for uh, that recovery in 2021? Because there are a lot of, of, of critics who would say that it, it was not necessarily the direct actions of the government that led to that. The thing is, I think the government has to take credit for any growth that it receives because the same government would be ridiculed if things went the other way. So why shouldn't they? I mean, they are the ones who uh, set policies and collect taxes and, you know, run the system. However, you know, whatever the, you know, I, I think the opposition, for example, or anybody who opposes, that's a job, that's a job of the opposition to critique I've never seen I've never seen an opposition in any country, any state, any part of the world that agrees with the budget. Most times they don't agree with anything. So, but the government cannot be uh, be uh, distracted by that because I think all of the the um, the gains made has to be has to be um, um, shared, or the government should take credit for it. Has to be credited by the government because they're the ones that run the economy. If they're able to have their technicians. Um, do there and they, they they had ECLAC they had uh, that all you know the all of these groups that looked into their funding and saw that they have made some growth they have to take credit for it so I don't see an issue there in regards to Social Security I I have listened to the Prime Minister's um, uh, intimations as it relates to Social Security and the fact that there is a shortfall because of the fact that many people weren't working many people weren't paying into the scheme and they have they have supplemented that using some CIP funds over the last two years, I think, or three years. And so I think too that we have to be we have to be um, cognizant of the fact that um, if Social Security has assets and they're not being used or being being productive financially, then we have to find ways creatively to you know have these um, assets, for example, land as somebody mentioned earlier, being put to good use, whether it's by rental, by sale, by constructing buildings. And Social Security does have some property that, that have assets in it, but they just have to use them to help to generate funds. We have to find creative ways to get the economy going and to create a higher um, uh, yield in terms of what the government intake to run the, run the economy. So I have no issues with that at all. Uh, Dr. Thompson Fontaine, um, just very briefly on this issue of Social Security. I mean, I, because it's an ongoing discussion in Antigua and Barbuda and has been for years and years and years. Uh, I think essentially it's safe to say that um, the actions of several administrations over well over a decade 
um, place Social Security in a, a, a very serious position in terms of borrowing from Social Security, in terms of not uh, paying in full contributions to Social Security as a government. That has been another uh, claim made. Uh, and in terms of settling debt to Social Security by apparently transferring to them assets which aren't generating enough cash to meet their needs. So successive governments have placed Social Security in a position where there are people outside Social Security asking for their pensions, uh, and in some cases in supermarkets stealing fish uh, because their pensions are late. Um, and you know what we get as a nation from uh, our current political directorate um, is that you know pretty much this is the political fault of administrations that came before, and there's not going to be an immediate fix to it. Uh, so you know, tough it out. Uh, do you think that there needs to be a a, a concerted policy effort to solve the problem of Social Security so that we do not have aging pensioners outside of Social Security knocking on the door asking for their pensions? Oh, absolutely. In fact, Antigua is not unique in that. Um, several other Caribbean countries have a similar problem. And part of the issue is that uh, with the economy is not expanding as quickly or at the rate that you would like, the, the 5-6% annual rate that you would prefer, um, the social security is uh, across the region are having issues and Antigua is no different. And there's always been the temptation for governments to borrow from them and repaying is a problem. What you might problem is that the government or the social security administration is of maybe forced to raise the retirement age. That is, that is a a method that has been used in other countries. In Antigua, currently, pensioners are, are having delays in their payments. You will find that happening more and more because the, the monies are simply not there. So looking at a way of actually monetizing those assets is certainly a way to go. Um, the social security is not only in Antigua, but elsewhere in the Caribbean. They have a lot of... of, of land assets physical assets you must find a way to as i think mr Cooley indicated to monetize this to increase the cash flow that is coming back into the social security mm -hmm. systems because what we do not want is to have individuals who have worked all their lives who um, religiously paid their contribution into social security and when it comes in their latter years they're not able to access it so that is something i believe now is a good time to begin addressing this it is good that the government is current on its uh, commitments for the year, but it has to go beyond that because it seems to me that there is a structural problem within the social security that needs to be fixed. Um, Mr. Peter Quilly, let me bring you back in uh, to change the topic now. Uh, do you have any uh, comments or concerns about the... Um well, the issue of the, the, the debt to GDP ratio, um, I think one of the things that um, the Prime Minister, this Prime Minister has been very keen on is in lowering public debt. Um, and he was pretty much on that mission uh, until COVID-19 hit and, uh, you know, the progress on that mission would have been impacted by COVID-19. Uh, but even throughout COVID-19, he has been quite particular in his public statements about emphasizing that the government does not want to uh, excessively borrow, uh, especially with um, some of the larger uh, financial institutions in the IMF, the World Bank, and so on. Um, do you have any uh, comments on our, our debt situation, on our, our financing situation? Well, I, I think if you were to compare the 2021 budget to the 2021 est estimates, or I think the, the final or third, I think he did mention that the debt to GDP ratio would have fallen. Um, but I think the falling in the ratio had nothing to, 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 to do with the fact that the country um, had less debts. I think what happened is that the GDP would have grown. And if you're looking at the ratio from the standpoint of debt over, over GDP and, and the GDP, which went down by about 20% in 2000, in 2020, came back up, um, you know, it would have changed the ratio and, and, and bring it down. However, what you what, what you see now is that the government is pursuing debts now um, as far as its financial option is concerned. You you, you heard mention of looking at um, the loans, uh, mention of going to the ECAC EC, to float bonds, and you heard mention of a fully sub, subscribed to, to 200 million euro clearable bond or something of that nature. To, I think about 200 million US now. Um, yes, um, those are options that the government has at its disposal, but at the same time, um, 
I think what is important for us to understand is the terms and the interest rates on which those debts are going to be con con contracted. Certainly, I heard about the Euro, the Euro clip of money is going to be 4.5%. That's not bad um, over 10 years. Um, but certainly, we know nothing about the security, nothing about the cash flow in terms of the payments, both principal and interest. So it's difficult to gauge an impact that contracting that debt would have on the future fiscal position of government. Um, certainly, we heard about reprofiling debts too. Um, but again, we don't know what the current debts are in terms of are there any short-term debts between one, two, three, four, five years and, and at higher interest rates that the government is, think, is, is thinking about reprofiling, which, which means buying out with, with that long, longer-term cheaper debt and hence getting more fiscal space. These are the details that um, we need to know in order for us to, get a pro to, to, to do a proper assessment of whether or, or not, um, you know, the debt which has been con contracted now um, would have, a, you know, a minor effect or a major, major effect. Um, but one of the things, though, that we may see happen is that the primary surplus, which he's speaking about, um, if we're contracting debts and interest payments are, are going to go up, it would change the primary surplus now. Um, depending on the extent to negative and um you know that is a cause for concern um but certainly um with a debt to gdp ratio of about 80 something percent and going down um with a fiscal the deficit to gdp ratio of 2.5 percent i think i think the imf prescribes if i'm not wrong um fiscal deficit to GDP ratio of about two percent. Um, Dr. Fontaine would 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 would, would, would um, correct me. I mean, they're not far off in terms of where they should be, um, but certainly we have to watch um, very carefully and analyze the way how the government is going is going about contracting debt, um, and be able to to gauge the impact it would have on the government's future ability to um, manage its budget. Because um, additionally, also. I think the Prime Minister did mention that when you look at salaries um, and, and wages and pensions and gratuities and so forth, they basically take about 60% of the government revenues. If you add interest payments on debts and principal payments to, to that, you can probably go up to about 80% or more. I mean, that is sizable. So you have no fiscal space now for services and so, and so forth. And so we have to be very careful with the way how, the, how we're going about contracting debt. Hmm. Uh, uh, Dr. Dave Ray and Mr. Carla Knight, I hope you'll indulge me for just a moment because I want to continue on this issue of the debt. And so I want to bring in Dr. Thompson Fontaine. Um, Dr. Fontaine, on the issue of our, our current debt situation, and I would ask you a question just for clarity. Um, when you reach that point in the budget where uh, the finance minister speaks about the financing requirement for this year's budget, uh, what, what, what does that specifically refer to? Is that uh, in terms of uh, raising money through 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 loans. I mean, just just asking a question for clarity here. Yes, basically that's what it means. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what is what's required to finance the budget? The budget is at a certain level, um, one point six uh, four billion dollars. How do you actually finance this? That would be through a combination of your of your taxes that you collect and then grants and the rest would have to come from loans yeah. well, this um, one this one says, this yes. one says um mm -hmm. uh, mr speaker the the 2022 budget has a financing requirement of 609.6 million so is that the component that must be raised by via credit yeah absolutely absolutely that's exactly what it means so now it's it's interesting to note that the the, the debt burden and peter made a very important point that i want to stress uh, because you already have a situation where, uh, because of your debt, 14 cents goes to, on, on every dollar that is made in terms of income, has to go to repaying the interest on the debt. If you add the amortization to that, it goes up to about 18 cents on the dollar. So add it, if you add the debt service requirements to your wages and salaries, you're about 78%, 78 cents on every dollar goes to either paying salaries or repaying debt. No, that's a that's not a, a ten years. That's not a situation that is tenable, uh, for the very simple reason. And as you see, even now, you have to find every you have to find creative ways 
of increasing the debt burden. It is true that the the, the percent of debt to GDP ratio has gone down, but and again, it is by basically that more to do with what happened to the uh, GDP as against the actual burden, because you still have a debt of about $3.5 billion. And for a country the size of Antigua, that's, that is a severe debt burden. And finding ways to continue to reduce this is what the government wants to do. And also, one of the best ways again is to is to grow your revenues. The question is, how do you grow the, the revenues? There is a limitation with regards to government what they can get for, for the government revenues. And the next best thing is, is the private sector. What I would like to see in an, an economy like Antigua is a greater diversification towards the private sector creating a much more space for the private sector to operate take some of the burden away from government it is a good thing politically for the government to have these huge wage bills but at the end of the day a lot of those services are not necessarily translating to revenues to the state and that is something for example if you look if you compare some of the government services as against what, say, a, a local company would do, a company, for example, that would open a manufacturing business or would open a hotel, that often translates to new monies coming in. It's not the same way you have government spending on its public service. So, you know, I think that's a dilemma that these um, e economies have in the region, Antigua be no exception. 89% uh, of um, debt to GDP is very high. The ratio that the ECCB is aiming for, I believe by the year 2030, is to bring it down to 63%. 63% is where you, you they think that they could settle. Most advanced economies look at 37, 40% of debt to GDP. That is where they operate. So we're already twice the recommended level, uh, if you like. And, and I think finding ways to reduce those debts, either through negotiations with the creditors, finding creative ways you know to get this debt down for example looking at, at debt for equity swaps um, you know climate change uh, types of deals with the green fund within the un system there are ways i believe that the governments can actually reduce their level of indebtedness but it has to be creative it has to be something that they take a, a stance on but what I can say uh, with some definition is that having this high level of debt is something that is not good for this country and can really stifle growth going forward. Um, coming back to you, Mr. Carlin Knight, uh, overall, what did you think about the tone of the budget? And of course, feel free to respond to anything you might want to respond to at this point. But uh, Mr. Knight, what did you think? The overall tone of the, of the budget, you will have to unmute. Yes, um, thank you for that reminder. Um, so, I must admit that I did not um, have the, the chance to listen to the the prime minister, but I read the budget. Um, I think it's not unusual insofar as the style of this particular leader. Um, there was substance, I will not deny that, uh, but it was substance mixed with the typical um, jabs that he would normally give at the opposition. Um, so if, you talk, if you're talking about tone overall, I thought it was it was par for the course. It was what we come to expect. It was um, uh, clearly um, a defense of his administration's stewardship over the course of 2021, um, the successes and the achievements that he he would have accomplished, um, and of course responding to the, I think the the, the major claims, um, because as you know, the, the opposition would have launched their their campaign uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, uh, and so he took the chance to to, to respond to it. Um, so I, I don't know that the tone was was any any way what we've not expected. I think it was fine. Um, in terms of a response, I, I just had an issue. I mean, there are a couple of things that I wanted to just quickly, very quickly. Um, yeah, one of the things we talked about was the idea of growth. Now. Um, again, I, I stand corrected by the more senior persons on the panel, but I mean, growth was was, of course, we would, we would expect a, a bounce in growth, right? So, I mean, if you come out of, 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 of severe restrictions and your economy begins to open up and you, you, you see a return to, for example, um, tourism as people, as arrivals begin to come in, you would have, you have, see, have seen this bounce in growth. So I think after negative economic shock, the, the, the subsequent year, you would have seen a, a, growth, a growth spread, right? So I'm not sure 
exactly how much of this growth spurt is attributable to direct intervention from the economy. It wasn't very clear to me in the budget. And how much of this growth is just a sort of a, a cyclical thing where you see um, an increase in economic activity, especially if your economy has been in a comatose state for um, much of the year, right? So we're talking about growth and the policies to achieve growth. I think it's important to talk about as well the issues of inequality, because at the same time the budget was mentioning there was a growth sport, it also mentioned that there was a, a falling consumption tax revenues by 40%, right? So it, it's kind of suggesting one of something to me that you, are, you have this sort of growth in the economy, but then also consumption consumers are not spending. So then the question is, well, where, what, what, is, what is this growth being, being um, comprised of? Is it a growth that is um, beneficial to domestic consumers? Is it a growth that is, is, is beneficial to, to Antiguans and Barbudans? And are they feeling the effects of this growth, right? And, and, and you need further data to be able to point us out. We need data on things like inequality measurements. And that wasn't really mentioned much in the budget. We need data in terms of um, even the, the concepts of the, the sort of fiscal instruments that were put in place. Um, we talk about the divestments of, of, of we are the shares of the government, the divestments and so forth. I don't know how many Antiguans, it said both locals and regionals. I don't know how much Antiguans would have been beneficiaries of that. Who benefit, benefited from that? Um, those, those well, it said it, it did say that eighty-five. It did say just to jump in. It did say that um, eighty-five percent of the persons who, who who got in were Antiguans. So you did mention that. It, oh, my my sign corrected then. But and it's, I think uh, more data in terms of in terms of you know what what are the what are the social sectors in Antigua and Barbuda that are being benefited from this uh, from the budget? Um, I need more data in terms of um, things like inequality alleviation um, um, and things that are being done to address. Uh, particularly the most vulnerable sectors in the economy. I saw a bit of that in terms of its assistance programs and so forth, but I would still want to see um, some more of that. So I give the government, what I give the government credit for is is that it did do, I think, a very good job of managing, or a decent enough job, a very good job of managing the, the, the pandemic because we have one of the highest rates of vaccinations in the region. 62% of our people, have, according to the budget, have been vaccinated. Um, they were able to, to, to manage the pandemic without going to the IMF and, and international financial agencies to borrow excessively. The prime minister was very clear on that. Um, and um, were able in the space of that to even reduce the deficit and to, to well, as, as, as the colleagues point out, to grow the economy. So we can't really know how much of that is growth, growth led. So there, it was, to my mind, a recovery, but I think we still need to see more of the indicators as to um, really, who were the ones that were really benefiting from this economic recovery, and, and what more needs to be done in, in terms of um, the particularly the most marginalised groups in our society to give them more economic empowerment and to, and, and, and reduce inequality in Antigua and Barbuda. Antigua and Barbuda has one of the highest rates of inequality in our, in our in our region, and so we need to look at that. I would like to see more of that kind of analysis going forward. Dr. Davery, let me pick up on that point with you to ask. Um, that is a, a, a point that has been raised by several critics over the years, um, that oftentimes we see a budget presentation and it is uh, it, it's pretty standard. You, you don't necessarily get a lot of um, uh, 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 interesting policies that, uh, for instance, as Mr. Nydra said, uh, are, are really targeted uh, any new sort of strategy or approach uh, that is targeted towards uh, persons who are on the lower end, persons who, who don't earn a lot, persons who are uh, particularly depressed. Um, do you think that's a fair criticism? Uh, I mean, we do see a lot of programs that the government uh, uh, operates in, it, 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 various social spending programs um, for the upliftment of different persons, for assistance of persons um, to, to, to help with their homes and their living situation. Um, it spends a lot of money, it socializes a lot of money in, in various other ways through a lot of social programs, uh, housing assistance and so on. Um, do you think, what, what do you think, really? Well, one, I think that one, as you know, government is not in business to make a profit. Governments are in business to run an economy, to stabilize an economy, to create uh, an avenue for even the private sector to advance and to create more jobs for the community. Now, the government has to be given some credit for not laying off anyone during the pandemic. And although there are some people who have complained about not being paid on time, Nobody was laid off. I mean, I've even spoken to people who are a little bit finding surprising. For example, when the airport was shut down for a couple of months, 
the the emigration, uh, the 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 customs. I'm sorry, was being paid every month. They paid a full salary. Now they might be late in some payments. However, I think that when when you speak about uh, the growth in the economy, whether whether the the um, you you may not be able to to directly associate it with growth based on a normal year. This is a growth based on coming out of a pandemic. So even if there is an increase in growth, it has to be looked upon based on where we're coming from. So yes, it may not trickle down to the to the normal man or the 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 the, the, the locals right away, but it's trending in that direction because of the fact that there are uh, there are ways that the government is trying to diversify diversify the economy. You have uh, for example, a lot of the private sector uh, companies have not been paying their taxes. They have not been paying on time. They have not. A lot of them have not uh, been assisting in the shortfall. For example, employment. A lot of them are taking the profits themselves. And a lot of the companies who get lots of um, duty-free concessions, you think that we translate it into more employment or more more paying more taxes. But a lot of them don't do that. We have companies like West Indies Oil, who we have heard is quite up to date and it's all these payments. So you have a lot of companies who have to step up to the plate. Yes, I do know that a lot of them suffered during the pandemic, but a lot of them have been making profit too. Some of them are making more profits now than they made before because of all the increase in shipping and all the different things that's been going on. So I don't know if you can really uh, you say you, you can really address the issue of where the where the profits are going in terms of the, the rise in the the GDP, over time, I think we'll be able to find that out. But in the debates, as the parliament meets, I think most of those things can be discussed in more detail. Uh, Dr. Thompson-Fontaine, uh, quickly, I want to bring you and get some uh, feedback from you on that issue. Last year in the budget, we saw a very strong presentation from the prime minister. It was both based on what he had prepared in the statement and as well on him uh, you know, simply just speaking, um, I don't know, from the heart. Uh, whilst on the floor in Parliament. But we saw a very strong presentation on the issue of tax avoidance and tax evasion. Uh, he spoke to that and he, he, he mentioned, and it actually is something that he has said before um, in other budget presentations, um, that, uh, of course, the government doesn't collect enough tax, and they, they usually promise in each budget to collect more tax through strengthening tax administration. Uh, he made a very strong push for that uh, last year, um, and generated quite a bit of discussion. But I didn't necessarily see much of a report this year in terms of how that sort of strategy, which has been part of the political rhetoric for the last couple of years, uh, and, and particularly last year when the government was really suffering in terms of its finances, uh, that rhetoric about strengthening tax administration and collecting more tax, um, but we didn't necessarily see much of a report on how that had gone in this budget. Do you think that is something we should have seen, or do you think that is something the government should still report on, whether or not it has, in fact, succeeded in broadly strengthening uh, tax collection and reducing uh, some of the, uh, I don't know, loopholes, uh, evasion, and all the other issues, audits that, that need to happen to make sure that the government is collecting the amount of tax that it ought to be? Oh, absolutely. It was such a, a major theme, as you said, in last year's budget. We spent a lot of time discussing it. And it is not a small problem. It, it is something I believe the government of Antigua needs to keep pushing. You know, it cannot be that in a state where you have zero income taxes, that companies are shirking their responsibilities. Um, this is something that certainly needs to be done. And it would have been good to see if any progress was made, because he did, in his last budget speech, indicate that he was going to go after some of these businesses uh, to try to bring in those resources. And as we said, clearly, there is a need, because the debt levels keep rising, and you need to be able to get those revenues uh, from businesses and individuals who are not uh, meeting their you know, we're not actually living up to the expectations. But that is something I was a bit surprised. I was looking for it in the budget. I didn't, there was no mention of it. So it could mean one of two things. Either he's abandoned the idea of going after it, or he did not think it was because he had not done much about it last year that he should, he would bring it back up. But I think it's something that, you know, within Antigua that people should be concerned about and should keep really pushing. Um, on, on that, or, same... or, may, or maybe two, or maybe two, he he uh, chose to relax that policy that that this year because of the fact that we're just coming off the pandemic. Could be that, but that could be one of the reasons as well. 
Yeah, true. Do you think? Um, do you think we should actually hear um, to you, Doctor David? Do you think we should hear some 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 feedback on that, some report from him as to what became of this very strong initiative that was presented in the last budget that we would definitely uh, be strengthening tax collection? I think we should, and I think that's where the opposition would come in in Parliament, where they can bring those questions to him, and have that being being a discussion, a debate, where he can explain more clearly how how he has gone after the tax avoidance uh, um, um, culprits, so to speak. Um, I think that that would be a good discussion because we need to have that on record to know if, because the shortfall, I mean, if you're gonna always have to borrow against the shortfall and you can actually collect the income from the people who owe money, to, you know, the, the, the private sector that owes money, then it will cut down the amount of money you can borrow. But, you know, borrowing is not something that is strange or, or, or it's normal for governments to borrow money so that they can keep the economy good for capital expenses. So if they can gain some of that money from the, the tax avoidance culprits, then I think that um, that can assist in the growth of the economy as well in terms of what the reports will be from the government side or the administration side. Uh, all right. Well, let's, uh, we can. We we're just around uh, hit the hour for this discussion, so we will have to wrap up. I want to give everybody the opportunity to give a final word. Um, who should I begin with? I should go to Mr. Peter Queeley. Uh, Mr. Peter Queeley, uh, to give us your final word, your, your summary thoughts on this year's budget. Well, um, in summarizing, um, let me just state quickly that um, the Eastern Caribbean, um, East Sea region as, as a whole, will experience. Uh, decline of 14% in 2020. And Antigua and Barbuda saw, saw a, a decline of about 20% based on the premises budget. The Eastern Caribbean would have been forecasted to, 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 to go by about 0.9% in 2021. Based on the budget speech, Antigua and Barbuda could by, by, by about 5.1 or 5.2%. So um, in summation, I think that the government has done well um, based on the numbers, the recovery has been good. They, 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 they have done a fairly good job at managing the process. When tourism was down, they shifted into construction and 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 and, um, and, and, so, and, so, and so forth. Um, and so I think in all, all, all in all, they, they, they didn't borrow uh, much funds during that time. They didn't lay off anyone. They managed to control inflation um, via keeping the gas prices stable. Um, they did some interventions in, in terms of assisting persons with utility bills and, and, and so forth. So when you look at the whole spectrum of interventions done by the government during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, you cannot not say that they didn't do more, um, anything. They, they did it good and the, 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 the outcome um, was good. Um, I think my concern though, is the future in terms of the contracting of, of debt and the impact that that would have on the, on the government's future fiscal position. But in summary, I think, I think that the government did well and the budget, in my estimation, reflects um, a good pathway. Uh, Mr. Carla Knight, uh, summary thoughts on the budget. Yeah, so I agree that the government did a good job in um, the economic management during the recovery. I, I do think so. Um, the fact that it was unlike other cu countries, um, um, it did not, um, I'm sorry about that, it did not go through the route of the IMF it, and borrowing funds. I think that was a good thing. It managed to keep people employed, it managed to um, uh, keep it, it, its expenditures manageable. And the, um, it, it there was uh, a, a good, a good um, a recovery after the fact. Um, we still, of course, see that um, this is a political budget, it seems like. We're going to see massive increases in capital expenditure. We see a, a doubling, I think, uh, in this projected expenditure. Um, um, uh, and so I think that it's safe to say this was what, what we should have expected um, leading into the next election going forward. And that's surprising. It was an unsurprising budget. But I think that there were several good things in there that I particularly liked. I liked the um, investments in, in, in particularly education. There were some things that did, did jump out at me as, as concerns, pensions and social security being one of them, um, public utilities being another one. As I said the cost of living and how it intends to address that in the, in the immediate term. 
Um, and of course, I think that the um, the one thing I didn't want to, want to mention was the low allocated funds for tourism, which is I think the main industry of our economy. So I mean, there were some things that I would have I would I would really hope that at some point in in the future we get more analysis on the budget. But it was a, overall a, a good budget, and I think um, the, um, overall my my impressions of it were particular particularly positive. Um, Dr. Thompson Fontaine, uh, your overall uh, thoughts on the budget. Yes, indeed. You know, if anything, the COVID-19 has been a wake-up call for a lot of countries. And I think what this budget shows is the government attempting to respond to that. Uh, for example, the, the need to diversify the economy. Uh, the need as well, I believe, to strengthen the private sector and to have the private sector take up some of the burden uh, that the government is under and one, that's one of the ways you can actually reduce on your own wage bill by by having a, a stronger private sector um, the concern on the social security of course is something that has to be uh, that has to be looked at and finally with, with regards to tax and fiscal policy i think a, a lot more can be done there um, you know certainly in terms of relooking at the at the tax regime looking again at some of the fiscal policies that the government can can on, can actually undertake uh, but all in all you know um the government came out better in 2021 than was expected and that's a good thing and uh, and certainly going into an election year i believe um is really always interested uh, and i think the what you will find is that the economy will will benefit from the kind of spending that you're going to see coming out in 2022 mm. one one quick question to you is the level of financing uh in terms of you know raising funds in this budget uh, a concern for you dr thompson fontaine it's a 1.64 uh a billion budget and i think 600 and something million of that is to be is to be raised in terms of financing yeah that is certainly a concern you know so it shows again and that's why some people i'm sure referring to it as an elections budget uh, a lot of it has to do with some of the of the projects the capital projects that are, that are to be undertaken now if the borrowing if most of this borrowing is to go towards capital projects that is not too bad a thing because you know if, if it's capital project that will have a return down the road it's okay the problem becomes if that spending or if that borrowing goes into consumption then you have a problem uh, because you're just going to increase the level of debt and you're not going to have the return. So the composition of the spending is what is is what is critical. And and um, having a huge uh, public sector public sector um, uh, spending or capital spending in this budget, I think, is is certainly it might be to appease the the populace or, or it might be a political stance, uh, but it's something that that certainly you would want to look at. Whether it's it is get really towards capital spending or most of that is consumption spending. Uh, and finally, Dr. Dave Ray, uh, summary thoughts on the budget. I think the budget was well delivered. Uh, I obviously. Um, as you say, I think the Social Security issue will not go away, whether we have a change of government or not. I think that's going to be an issue for quite some time. Uh, you know, if all the borrowings that the Prime Minister has alluded to, um, as someone said, is going to, you know, capital expenses, I think that's a great thing because not only will it, uh, it not, not only is it it's a great political move, but it also will be helpful to the community because the, the, the small man will be able to benefit from that because you're going to be creating more employment, whether it's more roads, more schools, more whatever it is, that's social social services or social programs. So I do believe that the the economy, the, uh, the budget speech was, there are some areas that, um, that I would question. I think more money needs to be given to agriculture because we have, um, been saying that we want to be able to have something more other than tourism as our main industry. So I think more money needs to be given to agriculture because what I've noticed is the agricultural budget is the same, about the same as last year, even less. And most of that is taken up by salaries. But I do believe that uh, the tourism is rebounding. You see, we have sometimes five ships in the harbor and they have expecting more and more flights. You know, more people are traveling, even from Antigua to the United States during this time. So, which means the economy is is rebounding. So, I do give them credit for the stewardship of the the economy and and the the, the finances of the country. They're obviously going to be questions, and I have a few, which I just said. One of them is, um, I think, um, uh, agriculture. I think they need to have more spending in agriculture. 
Um, healthcare, I think we have done a great job with, the, with healthcare. The Minister of Health has done quite a great job, despite what you know the, the noises are. Um, and so I would tell them to continue. Well, if if most of these borrowings are for the election, if the election spending, hey, I think people benefit from it. So that's the main thing. It's about making sure that the economy rebounds and that people can find employment, you know, coming out of this pandemic. So I just wish Antigua Barbuda all the best. Uh, with that, we can end this discussion here. I want to thank uh, all four of our guests for joining us this afternoon. We were joined, of course, uh, the last voice you heard there was Dr. Dave Ray. He's an elections analyst and a campaign organizer. Uh, he's also an internationally known cosmetologist. Uh, we were joined as well by Mr. Carl Knight, socioeconomic and political affairs commentator, uh, by Dr. Thompson Fontaine, uh, who is an economist currently working in South Sudan. Uh, he has worked for the IMF. Uh, his writings are focused on growth, currency crises, and development, among other things. Uh, and, of course, he is from Dominica. Um, and we are joined as well by Mr. Peter Queeley, a Montserrat-based economic and financial analyst. Uh, he joined us as well. He has worked uh, or did work uh, at one point uh, in the Ministry of Finance in terms of budgeting and, and fiscal management and so on. Um, we thank all four of you for joining us this afternoon. Thanks much.